Welcome back to Season 7, Episode 2 of Cheap Seats, a podcast produced by Lake Orion's Television Production Workshop. I'm your host, Kobe Manzo. Next to me, I have Derek Dungan. How do you do? And on the other side of the booth, we have Daniel Babcock. Introduce yourself. Say a little quick something. Hello. Mason I'm Slocum. How's it going? And Adam Schroeder. <laughs> Hi, how's it going? Fellas, a lot of stuff going on in the sports world recent, recently, and I know you guys have some opinions on it, so we're going to get right off the bat with our NFL talk, which I like to start all of our podcasts with. Being a football guy myself, knowing you guys are all around in the football world, we're going to start off with our hometown Lions. Now, the Lions out of playoffs after losses to the then 1-9 Redskins, led by Dwayne Haskins, and the 4-6 and six Bears. Now, given that they have gone with these journeyman quarterbacks and now are led by David Blow, now you see them last in the NFC North. Now, what is your take on this and the Lions and their struggles going in this part of the season? Um, I think really personally, I think it's just starting from the top with the GM of Bob Quinn. I don't think he can um, really put talent on the field for Patricia or really any coaching staff to, I think, succeed. Because I think how in retrospective, how the drafts have gone for them, um, they've been subpar, in my opinion, at best. And after this year, I don't know if it's time for the Lions to maybe move on from him. Yeah, that's a good point. And something totally unrelated, but are not totally unrelated, but off of a different course, I've been listening to the formation of this new league, the XFL. And in this league, the head coaches are actually operating as the general managers for their own squads. And it's something, an aspect of the game you have to think about because the general manager and the coach, sometimes they get along very well. We've seen that in the professional football league. But sometimes there are, they can butt heads. They can have clashing opinions. And you can see that in a team. It's almost like I've seen the analogy of somebody else gives you the ingredients and tells you to cook with it. Like you're just the head coach is just given what he's given and might not want to operate with that. So what what would that be like as a head coach and how would you deal with that? I feel like it'd be very difficult to uh, like have that positive relationship with um, your GM when you don't really have to make decisions. Like you can't make decisions for yourself or for your team. So like, yeah, just to agree with that. Yeah, get a little bit closer to Mike. And for sure, and you look at um, Patricia, his first year or his overall, you know, in his second year right now, he's nine seventeen and one with a .352 win percentage. Now, when we got rid of Caldwell, their main point was saying that pretty much he did not win. And looking at it right now, his record was much better than Patricia. And so that is just something that I know a lot of the fans have asked for and something that there, frankly, have not been a lot of answers for. So um, looking at the Lions fan base hitting kind of all-time lows, um, my last question for you guys would be pretty much about the Lions is, in their last four games of the season, would you like to see the Lions go 4-0 and compete and just go out there every day and play? Or would you like to see them go 0-4 and just tank and look for that top uh, top draft pick? Tanking. Uh, yeah, definitely Yeah, I definitely tanking. said that they could tank because then they could get higher draft pick, draft player play like Chase yeah, Young and actually be able to get some pressure on the quarterback I even like, when you're just rushing 4-3. I feel like every time we even have a, a good high draft pick, we always kind of screw it up either way, though. Let's be honest. <laughs> it seems to be a common theme almost. Yeah, they definitely have not done well recently with the top draft picks. Um, but like you said, I think Chase Young, I just uh, kind of rebound off of that. He's definitely one of the top players in college football right now, and that might be a good pickup for the Lions down the road. I guess we will see. Um, looking on to the rest of the NFL, in the AFC we have the top dogs, the Patriots, the Ravens, and the Chiefs. Um, the Ravens right now, looking at their play and how they have just dismantled some solid teams, um, especially with a recent win over the 49ers. Um, is that, do they control the North and overall AFC? I mean, obviously they're on the top of their division, but is that the front runner for you guys coming out of the AFC, or do you have someone else in mind? I think it's still the Patriots. 
because the Ravens, they don't have a lot of playoff experience on their roster. The Patriots are there every year and every year just again and again, and they're winning games in the playoffs. They're doing just enough to get that first round by, and then they just dominate in the playoffs and go all the way. I love what Bill, uh, Bill Belichick says. He always says that real football doesn't start until after Thanksgiving. And, well, fellas, it's, uh, it's after Thanksgiving, and the Patriots are going to start turning it up here because this is the time where um, you quite literally win or go home, right, coming into the playoff, uh, playoff season. And we got some playoff weather football, too. Uh, snow's coming down, and we're starting to see um, the best elements of playoff football come out. For that, for me, would be developing a strong run game and then it would be also stopping the run. But like you said, it's about having that experience um, and traveling with a defense, especially when you're going to the playoffs on the road, it's hard to bring home a win. So traveling with that defense and developing a good run game for me are two very important things that I think both uh, the Patriots and Ravens have done a decent job of, and they could continue to do so. Yeah, I think as well with the Patriots, if they get the top seed in the playoffs, it's hard to win in Foxborough if you're a team that's going on the road up there. I mean, the atmosphere in Foxborough and just how the Patriots game plan and uh, I don't even know how to describe it but like they never do the same thing twice it almost seems in games they always throw a curveball at every team they play and I think that's uh, part of their success I think that's why they're dominant year in and year out and hopefully I think they're going to keep controlling that yeah very true now looking at the AFC South it is very closely contested uh, between the Texans Titans and the Colts it's really up for grabs um, those teams obviously looking for a home playoff, uh, like a home playoff hosting that game because just like we mentioned, uh, hosting a game in the playoffs such a big advantage. And if you can get one of those teams that maybe had a uh, very mediocre regular season and they get to host a playoff game, the advantage and the momentum that that gives them, they could upset potentially you know, a team with a better record during the regular season, which is why it's so important for, that, for those home games. So what do you guys think about that home field advantage, kind of like Adam was touching on? I think it really depends on your fan base. Like, if you have yeah. a fan base that has a lot of uh, followers, like the Patriots, then it's going to be difficult to win because that stadium's going to be loud. Versus if you have a fan base that's losing currently, like the Lions or the Browns or the Dolphins, then it's going to be, like, less of a home field advantage because you're going to have a lot of visiting fans coming to the game and rooting for their team. Very true, very true. Now, heading over to the NFC, we have – not even arguably, but really the weakest division in professional football, the NFC East, led by right now the Cowboys, who just had that terrible loss to the Bears, and with the Eagles coming up just after them. Um, looking ahead at this division and the future of this division, does the winner of the NFC East deserve to have a home playoff game? Now, the way that the playoffs are structured right now, they will earn that spot, technically, but for future consideration for the structuring of these playoffs, do you believe that in a division that is, for lack of a better term, crummy like this division is, and with the record that they have produced even in this division with very terrible competition, do they deserve to have a playoff game against, you know, like you said, a very solid team that could come in but not a division leader? Uh, honestly, I, th I don't think they do. And frankly, I don't think they even deserve a playoff game to begin with because <laughs> even if, like, let's just say the Cowboys win, you're still leaving out either, like, a – team like the Vikings or I don't even know like but you're just leaving out a lot of good teams are gonna be sitting at home instead of almost probably under 500 now Cowboys or Eagles or maybe even a Redskins team that's gonna win the NFC East very true yeah, kind of gotta earn it yeah well we saw yesterday the Bears just beat them and they were third in the NFC North well they still are and now they have a better record than the Cowboys so that's a team that's 
really better than the Cowboys, and they've proved it, and now they're probably not going to get be able to get a playoff spot versus Cowboys are going to get a home playoff game. Yeah, seriously. And the West right now, the NFC West, is probably my favorite race in divisional football right now to watch between the Seahawks and 49ers. Um, they met in November, and the Seahawks uh, taking that game away, kind of almost stealing the game, Russell Wilson leading them to that victory. What does it look like the future of that, and how, who do you see coming out on top of that divisional play? I think I'll, I think I have to go with the Seahawks. The 49ers, they're great defensively, but – I mean, Pete Carroll, he's been a great coach like pretty much ever since he came up uh, to the NFL from Stanford. And he has a great quarterback, dual threat, and Russell Wilson. And also the defense is playing really well. Yeah, and like we said, you know, when you get to this playoff time of year, traveling with a defense, you know, defense wins championships. So that, that's what they say. And they don't say that for no reason. Because when you travel on the road, um, obviously you want your offense to bring it. You want your team to be firing on all cylinders. But your defense is going to be the one that brings that game home um, in the long run. Uh, looking forward past the NFC West, we have the oh, the Green Bay Packers on top of the NFC North with the Vikings, as you mentioned earlier, close behind them. Vikings have been looking great um, recently. And then rounding out the NFC, we have the Saints, who rule the South with Drew, B Drew Brees excuse me, back at the helm. Um, not going to lie, I was very excited to see Bridgewater get in there and get a couple, like a streak of probably, what was it, four games where they won in a row. Um, but tell me, you guys, like, what do you look at with the Saints especially? They're kind of, I don't know if you'd call them a dark horse, but going into the playoffs, I think they have a good amount of momentum. They've played a decent schedule with Drew Brees with his playoff experience and his leadership capabilities. Those pregame speeches get me pumped up. What are you looking for them coming into the playoffs? I think they're going to surprise a lot of teams. Um, the Saints have always been a pretty solid uh, football team. Uh, based offensive-wise, uh, Drew Brees, uh, Alvin Kamara, you know, and uh, defense, yeah, they're pretty good at defense, so, yeah. Yeah, very well-rounded team. Now, going off of the well-rounded teams, we're going to spring right off of that into the college football scene. Going into the college football scene, our playoff picture right now, rounding out the top four, we have LSU at number one, Ohio State at number two, Clemson at number three, and Georgia at number four. Uh, also something I'd like to mention is the Utah Utes are coming in at number five. And that is a talking point I know that is going to be talked about by a lot of the playoff picture, you know, sports personalities. But my look on it is that if Utah wins out, do they have a chance with one loss coming out of the Pac-12? Even after dominating that Pac-12, they might not get a bid to the playoffs. What does this say about the Pac-12, who is supposedly a Power Five conference? What does this say about the Pac-12 and their competition as of late? Well, not about uh, this is not about the Pac-12 or the competition, but this is a, a quote that Kyle Weddingham said about the game that they're coming up on Oregon. Um, he somebody asked him about um, uh, how how like how they see as the big picture. What do they see coming up? And he said, uh, and I quote: "We certainly uh, understand the big picture, but we can't control the uncontrollable. We can only control what is trying to win, uh, to get a win on Friday against Oregon, and that is out of our hands at that point. We don't spend a lot of time thinking about it." And honestly, I think that's a good mindset. A lot of the times you, you see coaches, you know, uh, in the locker rooms, you know, ripping the players, trying to get them hyped. Like, this is it. This is like, you guys got to, like, work hard, trend ahead. You know, that's good and all. But, like, if you're ever trying to get in the player's head about, you know, tr trying to, you know, get hype up, sometimes you do the complete and other opposite. And you get the players, you know, nervous. You get them, you know, thinking too much. You get in their head. And then, you know, when it comes to game time, you end up going out there and you flop. You just completely another, like, just you eat it. It's bad. It's not good news. So I like how Kyle Whittingham's out here. 
you know, uh, they've done a good season this year, you know, coming up. And I think what he's doing is, is good for the players, you know, getting them, getting them ready. I agree for sure. That's a great mindset to have um, going into something like this where you quite literally do not have any control. You're going to win the games you can. You're going to let the playoff committee select the team that they're going to select. And that really is out of your control. But looking at it, when you think of Power 5 conferences, you think automatically SEC, Big Ten, you know, those big kind of conferences, ACC. When you think about the Pac-12, it's almost on its own subdivision, lower than these other Power 5 conferences. Now, what does that mean for the hopes of the dominant teams like the Utah and other teams that are inside of this division? What does that mean for them down the road in their hopes of securing a playoff berth? Um, personally, what I think the issue is with a lot of Pac-12 teams, I don't think anyone really takes them seriously because you see with Utah's schedule, they only have one uh, top 25 win, I believe, going into this game. And when you compare that to what the rest of the field has in the top four and even teams outside and in the top ten, you can kind of see why I think many people are just kind of, especially with Utah and teams like Oregon, like they kind of just like don't look at the Pac-12 the same way they do other conferences. And I think along with that, you see um, towards the beginning of the season with non-conference play, you never see really Pac-12 teams dominating other teams from different conferences when they play for non-conference games like I know they do and I believe the AD for the Pac-12 uh, really like doesn't like sets up all these games but you never see Pac-12 teams uh, going out and really beating anyone else. That's a great point. Um, Cross-conference play is something that you might not take into account because obviously if somebody is in the Pac-12 they're going to have that regular um, division schedule within their own league but when you look ahead and you look at a coach and an athletic director and you look down the road and to see what kind of games they're scheduling outside of their own conference, build, trying to build that strength of schedule based on the team that they have, that's something that is um, assuredly a factor for the playoff committee when they pick these final playoff teams. I think that Utah will get into the playoffs because you have the SEC championship, which is LSU versus Georgia, and it's looking like LSU's going to win that game considering that they're the top team. And so then that will probably boot Georgia out. And then if Utah is able to beat Oregon in the Pac-12 championship, and that'll put, that'll, I think that will put Utah in. That will give them enough, enough of a boost to get them into that four spot. I'm going to agree with your take there because not only would that give Georgia another loss, their first loss was actually to unranked South Carolina. And that was a huge loss for them in the middle of the season. Uh, moving forward, obviously they've regained some momentum, uh, making that making sure that was their only loss and not letting that loss kind of tumble and turn into a snowball effect for them, the Bulldogs. But with a loss against LSU, and that will definitely be taken into consideration for the playoff committee, and Utah winning out, I don't know if it's a lock. It definitely is not a lock, but I'm going to go with you and say Utah has a solid chance to you know just kind of scratch into that playoff picture. Moving on, uh, you kind of look at the one name that we have not mentioned that is probably on the minds of everybody listening, and that would be Alabama. Now, Alabama is down and out, in my opinion, after a loss to Auburn in the Iron Bowl. Something about that that may or may not be interesting, but the rivalry games like that are so underrated, and I'm not talking about the people from Alabama and Auburn, but from outsiders' perspective, looking in, you look at the stats on paper, you look at the players, you look at the personnel, the coaches, you look at everything, and Alabama is so much better on paper, correct? But when you get down to the actual field and you feel that environment and you feel not this hatred but just this competitive spirit between these two teams that have gone at it for as long as I can remember, that is a game that, as we saw, can go both ways. And uh, Auburn 
taking that one out in a very close game. What does that mean for Alabama? Obviously, they're not going to be in the playoff picture this year. But going down the road, what does that mean for them and Saban? Uh, I, I, th- I just think that means that I think Alabama just has to, like, regroup. Because I know Tua got hurt, and he's still up in the air about if he wants to go to the draft or not. I think that for Alabama, that's huge because uh, – I think he was their guy, and now that he's still undecided about what he wants to do with his future at Alabama, I think it's have to look in and just almost kind of rebuild from within again like they have in the past. I think for Auburn this means I think it's a good sign because going into the season with Bo Nix, I think they're almost unsure, especially earlier in the season. But I think now that um, he's gone and played and he's gotten some experience, especially with the big win over Alabama, I think this uh, is definitely a positive for Auburn. For sure, and one picture that always stays with me is after LSU goes down and beats Alabama in Alabama, you see the LSU players come over to where the Alabama football recruits were sitting. And, you know, just kind of jokingly had come over and said, you know, where do you guys want to go to school? Like, make sure you come to the right, you know, just kind of jabbing, just kind of that kind of stuff. But in all seriousness, kind of going into my next point is the recruiting scheme in college football. And now that Alabama is out of that top four, top five teams in the country, what does that mean? Could that turn into a snowball effect? Because you have this top 1% of high school athletes that are going to these top five college football teams. And what does that mean for the rest of the teams? They have to really up their recruiting because Alabama in the past has just had this reputation. We're in the playoff every year. We're playing for national championships. And they have the same facilities as every other Division One FBS school. But now going into the future, I think it's going to be interesting to see how Alabama handles this new recruiting game and how they're going to bring in these top-level athletes even though they're not at the top of their game anymore. I just think they're going to use their, like their past history of all the national championships to help them uh, recruit the, the new recruits. And um, I think they, they have a great program. And, like, I mean, and they're not going to fall short of any uh, recruits. They're going to be top recruits going there no matter what. Uh, just like this, this past season, it wasn't really their season. So just using their past to help them recruit their um, next recruits is going to be very helpful for them. For sure. And that makes a lot of sense, though, relying on their tradition, um, looking in the past, living in the future, looking forward. And that, you know, I definitely would agree that this program isn't just going to fall off the map um, that quietly. But I don't know. I just do think it will be interesting to see in the future what goes on there. Um, Looking back at the rest of the top 25 in college football, we have two military academies, Navy coming in at number 23 and Air Force at number 25 in the top 25. Um, I know you mentioned earlier, Babcock, about the Army-Navy game coming up soon. And talk about uh, a big rivalry game. That is something, even compared to an Auburn-Alabama, which uh, televised-wise, maybe not so much. But to the people at Army and to the people at Navy and those servicemen, that game is something like no other. Yeah, I think that the Army-Navy game is going to get a lot of press, even though it is the same week as all the conference championships. Because it's Army-Navy, they're going to do the same thing. They pretty much have the same exact schemes, and they're just going to try to hit you. It will be very interesting to see who wins because they're both very good teams. Yeah, that's very true. Um, Now, rounding out college football, who would – I'll just go around. Number one team going into the playoff picture. Not saying, you know, going to win, but number one team as far as momentum, personnel, going into the playoff picture, what do you guys see? Uh, for me personally, I think it's Ohio State. I think with the win after Michigan, how dominant they were, I think they're the clear-cut number one. Uh, LSU. Uh, I mean, Ohio State, yeah, Big Ten, but like LSU, then the, you know, they're pretty good, and uh, I think they can beat Ohio State. I think it's LSU. I don't think anyone's going to be able to stop them on offense. They have a great offense with uh, 
Joe Burrow at quarterback, and then they have um, Clyde Ed- Edwards-Hilaire at running back. He's uh, He'll probably be a first-round running back. He's a great player. Derek? Um, honestly, I'm not really sure. Um, I do like Ohio State, but I feel like maybe um, they're a little bit – I mean, they're, they're a good team. Don't get me wrong with what I'm saying here, but I feel like um, LSU kind of got a little cheated out of that when they uh, when Ohio State just kind of like um, – uh, how do I say this? Lack of a better term, like leapfrogged over uh, them for the the first place spot. Uh, so I think they're a really good team and all. But honestly, I think LSU's got uh, a little bit more to them. Um, I feel like Ohio State's defense is pretty decent. Um, but if you're going to be like Alabama, you can't let them put up, you know, uh, two or three touchdowns like uh, as they did with Michigan. Uh, so I feel like L- LSU's going to go. Yeah, I personally would love to see an Ohio State LSU game. That is something that. Um, I know not only I would like to see, but the rest of America would love to see. I'm going to have to go with Ohio State um, after, like Adam said, that Michigan game. uh, With a Michigan team who has been rocky all season, they've had some very good spurts, some very bad spurts. To come out and dominate in all facets of the game like that, that's something that you can't do against a good college football team unless you are a great college football team. And for that reason, I'm going with Ohio State. Uh, Moving on to our last category here, uh, we are going to be talking a little bit of NBA basketball. So you look right now into the NBA portal, and you have in the East, the Bucks are leading with a record of 18-3. and They're on top, and then they have Miami Heat behind them, 15-5, and and the Raptors at 15-5, and not far behind. In the West, we have the Lakers, 18-3, and and this is the best season they've had in I can't even remember how many years, but they lead the West with their rival L.A. Clippers at 16-6 and coming in at second place. Um, you guys, tell me how much that rivalry means coming from the same area, um, obviously in LA and tell me how much that means probably to that community I mean obviously we're not there but talk about a huge growing sports city that LA is and how that might um, affect the game uh, I don't think the players are looking at as much of a rivalry yet once it gets later into the season they'll start thinking of it as more of a rivalry because there are more more must-win games but as of right now I think that really the players on both of those teams are just going to go out there and they're just going to try to win and don't really like be up in each other's face like talking all this smack about it being a rivalry yeah no that is a good point i can definitely see that especially in the nba uh we talk a lot of load management for the superstars of the nba and going down when you play 82 games in one season obviously every game is a must win for those programs but when you do look at it at the end of the day there are some games that are much more important than others and going down to the end of the season i think it'll be very interesting uh to see what happens there they uh the clippers beat the lakers by 10 in october um, they play again on January 28th, so just uh, over a month away, we'll see the growth from both teams. Obviously, they've both gone on to have very successful uh, beginnings of the season. Um, going right off of that, in L.A., you have these two NBA teams. you got uh, the Raiders, you have the Rams, you have the uh, – what's the NHL? Kings. Is it the Kings? Kings it is yes. the Kings. So, and how do we see – um, L.A. growing as this sports city where you have just this huge bustle of not only sports but entertainment and just kind of a clash of all this culture, and it really has become um, just a super important uh, I think it's really good for especially the city because I know in at least recent years, it's only really been like the Lakers. I know the Kings had some good years uh, yeah. uh, earlier, like earlier in the decade, but now that you have good – basketball teams now you have a bunch of new thriving football teams with obviously the chargers and the uh rams see that is terrific i think for them and i think um with at least within basketball having both the lakers and clippers now be 
at least good franchises because historically in recent years the Clippers have not even been even close to the level of the Lakers play. I think that's really good for uh, Lake Los Angeles as a whole. Now, okay, oh, go ahead. One team you didn't mention, Kobe, uh, in in Los Angeles was the Dodgers. Yes, uh, that is another very yeah. big, very big press team gets a lot of attention. Yes, good, uh, good catch there. Yeah, they're competing for the World Series pretty much every year, and although they don't win it that much, they're still there. Very so. true. Just to get to that level is definitely uh, very impressive, and that just adds to the overall atmosphere um, in that area. Going into our MVP conversation. Um, it is no, you know, it's no coincidence that two of the guys on this list are leading in the East and the West, respectively. We have Giannis Antetokounmpo and LeBron James, both leading their teams right now at the top of their division. Um, you look at Giannis Antetokounmpo, who right now probably would be my frontrunner for MVP, simply because he is the most well-rounded um, out of all of these candidates. You look at his 30.8 points per game, 13.4 rebounds per game, and 5.4 assists per game. Not only is he averaging a double-double, but he's dishing the rock. He's making his teammates play much better. And that's what I look at from a most valuable player standpoint is that the player is elevating the people around him to play at much better standards, and that's what wins championships. Oh, yeah, and I agree with that. And uh, off that point, too, that's why I think um, these players – they just have that special ability where they can, um, um, I don't know, like bring a certain level of play to their team uh, within. Like, you see Luca now. He's only 20 years old, and he's already putting up these kind of numbers. I think he could be the next probably great Mav. And I know many people were thinking once uh, Dirk got out, like he was going to probably be the best Mav for a while, at least maybe all time, and then not even right at, like two years right after that, Luca comes up, and now he's probably one of the arguably the best uh, in Mavs history. I mean, that is a pretty hot take considering, yeah, he's only 20 years old. Um, right now, what I say is the best Mav, definitely not. What I say is off to probably one of the hottest starts in their program's history, for sure. You look at his stats and some of the records that he's broken. He's up there with LeBron James and a couple other NBA um, all-time greats as far as um, not only rookie seasons, but seasons after that, and just leading. And he fills up the stat book. He really does. He fills up the stat book every night. And just going back to when you watch him play, you see the chemistry that he has with his teammates, and I think that's just as important um, as anything else you can do on the court. Uh, he plays both sides of the court very well, and he's a scorer. He's a, he's a very good scorer at that with 23.3 points per game. And to do something of this caliber at that age I think is so very impressive. And uh, my hat's off to Luka Doncic. Moving on, uh, we have also just take a look at LeBron James. And what I find funny about this is he hashtags all of his social media posts now with hashtag washed king. You know, you get that, you get that bad PR, a little bit of bad PR taste. Uh, LeBron loves it. LeBron eats it up. And he's a hard guy. He's a hard guy to dislike. Uh, coming in at over 27 points per game, 7.4 rebounds per game, 7.3 assists per game. And he's already won four MVP awards. So he knows what it's like to play at this standard and to hold his teammates to this standard. He's won, and he's won a lot. What does that mean for somebody to have that kind of experience on this team and to lead them into a potential deep playoff run? That's great for the Lakers. Obviously, people are starting to say, like, all players are be starting to get better than him, and he's not the best in the league anymore. Like, obviously, they're saying now Giannis is the best in the league, but he's still, like, if he's not the best, then he's at least top three. He is obviously dominating everyone else, and now he has a superstar running mate in Anthony Davis, and they have just a couple good role players on that team that can help uh, 
fill that can help like fill in when uh, Davis and James are out. That's a great point. Now, not only is the acquisition of new teams into the uh, Los Angeles area huge, but acquisitions of big name players like an Anthony Davis or a Kawhi Leonard, both of which are having huge impacts on the teams that they came into, respectively. Um, another player that has had a huge impact on his team that some people might have not seen is Pascal Siakam, or as Babcock was telling me, Spicy P, coming in with 25 points per game, five rebounds, and two assists per game. He is quietly having a great scoring season for the Raptors after they lost Kawhi Leonard in the offseason to the Los Angeles Clippers. It's something that I was very impressed. Not only I thought he was a great player before, obviously seeing in the finals, he played very consistently, and I think that's his one calling card is his consistency. Every night he goes out there and he plays with that same effort, and it really shows that he stepped up and I don't want to say filled the shoes of Kawhi because they're very different players in themselves, but he has filled the shoes of a leader and a scorer in that organization. It's something they desperately needed. Well, I think like uh, since the spotlight was on Kawhi last year, um, switching it over after the trade in the offseason, Pascal like kind of has that spotlight on him now in Toronto, and I feel like he's gonna yeah he's a great leader like you said and. Um, I think he's going to have a great future for the team. What do you think the most challenging part, uh, challenging part, obviously, you know, we haven't had to deal with this personally, but looking from an outsider's perspective, what do you think the most challenging part of having that spotlight? Um, and not only does he have a spotlight on him, but the whole Raptors organization has that spotlight inherently. Just because they're the only organization right now, the Basketball Association in Canada, bring home that championship trophy for them last year. What do you think that spotlight is like for that organization? I just think they got to stay consistent, and um, definitely they got to keep the fan base there, and uh, they do have a great fan base. Um, Toronto's an amazing uh, sports world for basketball, and uh, just keeping that spotlight on them and, um, you know, just keeping that consistency because, like, when you lose that consistency, you're going to lose fans and you're going to lose, uh, like, just television and stuff like that. Very true. And I'm talking about fans. We do appreciate you guys all for listening today. This has been Season 7, Episode 2 of Cheap Seats. I'm your host, Kobe Manzo. Thank you all for tuning in today, and I will see you next time.